So take us through step by step. How does an actor win an Emmy Award? How does an actor win an Emmy Award? By hitching your wagon to really good writing. That was six-time Emmy Award-winning actor Brian Cranston. And you heard his advice. Great acting requires great writing. So for this very special episode of In the Envelope, an awards podcast, we are going behind the camera to talk to two writer-producers about what makes great television and how that translates to a great award-winning performance. My name is Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, your guide to the acting industry and the most trusted name in casting. Stick around as we talk to two of the contenders from the 2017 Emmy race. This season of In the Envelope is brought to you by HBO. I wanted to ask you, who would you thank in your in your awards acceptance speech? Oh. Have you thought about this? Because I have. You would thank the Academy. You can start with that. Okay. You're really going to baby step me through this yep. process. You start with thanking the Academy. Yeah, thank all the people you. that are going to help advance my career in the future. Yes. That's that's rule number there one. And then my parents and then, mm. or maybe my wife and then my parents. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then. I would also thank my wife. <laughs> I don't have a wife. Listeners, I don't have a wife. But yeah, parents, important. Well, basically, you just want to thank all the people that are going to be annoyed if you don't thank them. Isn't ah, that really ooh, the policy? That's actually a really, yeah, <laughs> really good uh, strategy. The art, that I think there is an art in giving an acceptance speech. I really, I think it's it's an art that Brian Cranston, for one, several yeah. of the people we talked to, but David Brian Harbour. Cranston has, <laughs> David Harbour has mastered the art, yes, of giving an awards it acceptance It helps speech. having Winona Ryder stood next to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Making it even more, yeah. That was such an amazing speech. Yeah. Um, and I think of people like Meryl Streep is very good at giving speeches because she's had a lot of practice. And mm. Viola Davis gives amazing yes. awards acceptance speeches. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a uh, you know it's an art form that not many actors get to practice, but it requires. I'm sure they do practice. <laughs> well, that's the thing. In yeah. the mirror. Yeah. Maybe that's also part of yeah being an actor is. You're supposed to practice the acceptance speech. I think it's a bit like the red carpet as well, isn't it? They talk about having a different mindset for the red carpet Mm. for Mm -hmm. acceptance speeches. Yeah, it's all part of the part of the job. It is a little bit of an acting exercise to to take on the red carpet and to pretend to have that confidence. Mm. Uh, We've talked about that with a couple people on this on this show, Um, but also, yeah, maybe ascending the stage as a as an Emmy winner requires you to put on a bit of a character or yeah. get into the right mindset of someone. Do you think who's... they walk up a lot of steps in preparation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they try to simulate the adrenaline rush of that moment. Yeah. I imagine. It must be such a rush. Can you win you can't win a technical Emmy for podcasting, can you? Mm. Yet or can you? No, but I feel like that's only a matter of time. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. We'll get there. We won't get to the main ceremony, but we'll get to one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are several uh, precursor ceremonies that we might be eligible for. Oh, great. Good. We're submitting ourselves for Emmys. This is perfect. (laughs) We're getting slightly ahead of ourselves. Episode five. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever one we're on now. (laughs) Yeah. Jamie, talk to me about Breaking Bad. Well, prior to this conversation, you said I have 12 seconds to speak about it. So I got a (laughs) few about seven We want to get to our interview with Brian Cranston. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's great. (laughs) 
you should one of the greatest it. TV shows of all time, writing, directing, acting, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It was the first show where I really <laughs> appreciated a sort of character-driven narrative. Mm -hmm. And you sort of have to appreciate that in the first season, I think, because it's a slog. You know, it's ah. relentlessly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say depressing, but, you know, I mean, obviously the subject matter is dark and bleak. Mm. Um, but it is. But the characters setting. are so strong and, and mm -hmm. yeah, the, it's so impressive as a yeah. show how oh it God, doesn't yeah. just come out the blocks and just dazzle you. It right. makes you stick it out. Sure. <laughs> which makes the payoffs even more mm. powerful. Right. And I, what I really loved about the show was, was how they just teased you and teased you and teased mm. you. And it got, you know, just when you thought something there was going to be a resolution to something right. they pulled it that bit further yeah. and so when the payoffs did happen it was just explosive literally totally. literally <laughs> explosive. at some point um yeah the thing about that show for me is the performances i mean it's every aspect of the show but the performances like exemplify it for me of like mm. it's such an ambitious storytelling mm. project yeah <laughs> and the actors are consistently so fearless and it, i i imagine Every time I try to put myself in their shoes, Brian Cranston's performance is one of those that makes me think like, I could never ever be an act. Why would you try to compare? How could you compare yeah. yourself to that kind of performance? And it's because he is given these insane scenarios. He's given these incredibly high stakes and these hard. Hello there, Jamie here. We did end up talking about Breaking Bad for quite a long time. So in order to get on with a podcast, I'm going to cut us off right there. And after a quick break, Jack will be introducing our first guest, Alan Yang. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original comedy series, Insecure, starring Issa Rae. Insecure explores the black female experience through two best friends. Issa and Molly must deal with their own real-life flaws as they attempt to navigate different worlds and cope with an endless series of uncomfortable everyday experiences. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding comedy series and all other categories. Alan Yang is a screenwriter, producer, and sometimes actor who got his start on NBC's Parks and Recreation, where he met Aziz Ansari, and the two went on to co-create, co-produce, co-write, and often direct the Netflix series Master of None. Last year, they won the Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing of a Comedy Series. Here it is, my interview with Alan Yang. So congratulations on, on all the show's amazing success. Thanks, thanks. Um, what's it been like the the second time around, the the promoting, the publicity side of things? Are you used to it by now? Yeah, I'm pretty used to uh -huh. it. Season two, there's been uh, significantly more press than season one. Uh -huh. You know, I think people, sense. yeah, I think people, you know, saw the first season and did not absolutely loathe it. So yeah, they're, 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 they want to talk about it more. And how much of that has to do with the Emmys? Uh, some of it, yeah, yeah, some of it. I think it 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 doesn't hurt, man. It doesn't mm -hmm. hurt. It definitely is the thing where, you know, we didn't know, it, you know, if we get nominated or anything like that, sure. and so that was that was exciting. It, it, and it, you know, the the most important thing it does is it gets the show out there more. Where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, this is a this is a thing, and like people yeah. like it. Like you should watch it. Um, right. So yeah, anything that helps more people watch the show. Right. And that's mostly because a lot of people watch the Emmy Awards ceremony itself, and so you, and you guys used that platform to promote the show, but also just being an Emmy-winning show has that 
level of prestige that kind of ups the yeah, yeah yeah it's 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 good i guess it's better to win than to lose <laughs> you know it's all good man it's all good yeah and so going into it going into season 2 with the kind of more eyeballs and more attention do you have a do you come up with a different strategy to promote with your team? Uh, to promote? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we put on the poster, like, uh, the Emmy Award winning whatever, mm. whatever right. comes back. I, that's all marketing stuff. Like, yeah. you know, we, we, we're we involved in that stuff, but we have good people working on it now, too. Uh-huh. Um, but we are very we, – we are involved because we are control freaks. But, <laughs> but right. yeah. And so I want to ask, too, about, like, what does it mean to be a producer? Like, is that basically you're just a professional control freak? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, like, being, being a EP on the show, being the showrunner of the show uh-huh. is, to me – uh, you have a vision in your head yeah. of what you want the show to be, mm-hmm. and then the producing part is how do you get that done? And 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 mm-hmm. you know it's it's your vision, and you you just work as hard as you possibly can to mm-hmm. execute something that comes as close to that vision as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, uh, you know it takes a huge team of people to do it, and, sure. and you know no one makes this show all by themselves. So sure, um, yeah, it's it's all these people working together. But that vision is not one person's vision. Um, like you say, there's a huge team of people, but it's also it's mostly the vision part is is you and Aziz, correct? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We we just talk to each other ad nauseum, even before sure. the writers meet, before yeah. definitely before we're shooting, definitely before we're editing. Yeah. Um, but you know, before anyone talks about it, me and Aziz talk about it together and and uh, bounce ideas off each other mm-hmm. and and talk about stuff that's happened to us. Uh, but wow. yeah, it's 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 all part of it, man. And not just stuff that's happened to you. I'm sure you guys also do that thing where you share pieces of art, pieces of filmmaking that you discover, that you love, or that yeah. you want to evoke. Music, yeah, all mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, I mean, this year oh, was... Music, too. I mean, some of the stuff's very clear where it's, you know, it's Antonioni and De Sica yeah. and Fellini. Cool. Um, yeah, but there's there's all sorts of stuff, for sure. I mean, how long is that list of, of influences? <laughs> Man, it's getting really crazy because right? recently, because so when we're working on the show, we don't really have time to do it, but uh. in the last month or two i've really gone crazy with the sort of just canonical classic films because you know i've seen some of them before you see them you know in school like i took film classes Mm -hmm. but but now that you've made some stuff yeah like you watch them with a new eye you know so we we did a thing Mm -hmm. actually at the metrograph theater which is an art house theater that's that's pretty close to where i live and it's my Mm -hmm. favorite theater because i'm just there all the time and they did a good job with it um but they asked aziz and they asked me and aziz to uh to, to pick some movies to play. So we got to program a few movies, which oh, was great. Nice. So last night, um, I picked Tokyo Story by Ozu and, and mm-hmm. I went and introduced it. And, and oh, that's like, that's cool. crazy. That's like, that's like our favorite thing right now is just watching these classic movies. So I've gone on a big kick recently. And what is that process like? You you take a movie like that and you, you obviously you sit down with Aziz and you have a million conversations about how you can use that influence. But is it then a question of like, how do we use this story or this style in Dev's world? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them are very explicit, right? I mean, the the bi- bicycle thieves is very explicit. A lot of the other ones, it's more like a feeling, you know. It's like, mm. you know, the performances in a Linklater movie, or the ambiguity oh, cool. at the end of, you know, you know, The Graduate or whatever. You know, we talk about just the yeah. feeling of some of these movies, and. It might not be an explicit homage in the sense of it's black and white and it's shot the same way or yeah. it's a frame framed the same way, but it's more like, mm. well, how did he or she direct these actors and how did he, you know how did uh how does the so the tone of this movie inspire us or you know or the look of a movie you know? Yeah, but tone is so. I mean, that's something that you can't categorize. You can't like get specific about it. How much of that is like? 
directing? Yeah, I think it's I think tone is really that's right. something that's really put hard to put your arms around. Yeah. That that's a thing where uh it's the whole piece. It's really from front to back. Mm. That's it's everything you're doing, you're imbuing the, the thing with tone. Production design, cinematography, mm. obviously writing, directing, acting. Right. Um but it's all part of it. I actually think it, it's it I, I don't know. I really you know, it wasn't a conscious thing for us saying we want to establish this tone, but we've mm. always just had it in our heads of what we like. Yeah. And and what it ends up being is is fairly naturalistic. I mean, if you watch this show, it's not super joke heavy. It's not mm. really broad. I mean, there's a couple of broader things, but yeah. but uh, it's mostly pretty grounded and there's some optimism in it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of sadness, but there's there's generally I think a little bit of a warmth and an optimism in the show. Yeah. It's joyful. Yeah, there's joy. There's joy, man. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, hugs and uh yeah. and uh, belly bumping and stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, there's sadness too, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, there's genuine friendship. There's warmth between the family members, and there's romantic love, and you know, the good things in life. A lot yeah. of a lot of food shots. <laughs> so many food shots. That's yeah. what everyone is saying about season two. Yeah, also. it's this out of control. Super focused on the food. Yeah. Does the food fall under that list of many, many influences? <laughs> or that... The food, man, it is so crazy. I mean, this food is one of the reasons Aziz and me became friends. Oh, yeah? You know, it, it's like, you know, we, we met on Parks and Recreation, yeah. and, uh, you know, we were both kind of the younger people on the show. We were like 25 mm. or something like that. And, oh, wow. And uh, we, we were single. We liked to go out to eat. So I was like, you got to yeah. eat with someone. So I ate a lot of meals with Aziz, you know? It was a lot of, like, just going out in L.A. and, you know, maybe go to a party or, like, going, oh. going to dinner with your friends. Yeah. And we just really got into food, like, really naturally, like, you know. Um, and so it's talked about a lot in the show, but I would say not any more so than it's talked about in our real lives. So that's why, that's why, Whoa. like, yeah, we genuinely feel that way, you know? Your lives revolve around food that much. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. We just care a lot. We just read about food and send each other links and stuff. Yeah. It's dumb. And so that's how you got to know him. That's how you guys started to share your stories a little bit yeah and... a little bit well the parent stuff came later but yeah oh. i mean for a long time when we were in parks it's just like yeah we like to we like to hang out and then we started traveling a lot with uh-huh. with each other with our friends and stuff and yeah. and uh, we really like doing that you know so yeah. we were, you know we were lucky enough because our, we both worked the same show our our our, hi- our hiatuses were the same so our breaks were the same right we like to work hard as weird as that sound is like <laughs> we can't like uh, to me the biggest thing is the one of the biggest things on the show is like not settling and not saying that's that's good enough. You know, yeah. if, you know, he'll say something's not good enough, I'll say something else is not good enough. Mm-hmm. And let's just keep, let's get to the, let's get to the highest level we can, mm-hmm. you know, we, that we possibly, possibly can. It's, you don't want to, you don't want to look back with regrets and, 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 and say, well, we could have made that better if we had just tried harder, you know. Yeah. We just want to avoid that. Yeah, and that's what you're saying about being a control freak. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We're, we're very detail-oriented, yeah. and, and, you know, I think it's a very fun show to work on. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, as you can tell from some of the episodes, like, it's like— Totally. It's really fun. And we, also, the other thing is you get to do it with your friends, and in Aziz's case, some of his family, you know? So yeah. it's like, what a dream, you know? You totally. get to work with— you know, Aziz is my good friend. Eric's my good friend. Aniz was on set a lot. He's my good friend. A mm-hmm. lot of the writers are my friends. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And so— I've always wondered, I've always kind of wondered with the, these dream partnerships that just look, of course, they look so much fun, but yeah. they also just create such amazing work. And yeah. like you say, up up the standard and ask a lot of each other, What? how do you guys navigate when you disagree? Because, of course, you're going to have conflicting tastes or conflicting decisions. Yeah. And how do you settle that? Well, first of all, it doesn't happen as often as you might think, okay. crazily. Yeah. We just... 
have similar sensibilities. I think cool. for whatever reason, now that we've known each other this long, yeah, you know, we we just tend to agree on the big stuff. That's the important stuff, like the big stuff. And hmm. the other thing is when we do disagree, we, we don't take things personally. That What's yeah. really cool, one of my favorite things about Aziz is he doesn't have an ego when it comes to making the thing as good as it can be. Uh-huh. He doesn't want to go his way just because it's his way. He genuinely wants to talk about what's best for the show. And yeah. I, I'm the same way, you know. Um, I feel like I'm actually a pretty easy guy to get along with. But but uh-huh. it's 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 uh you know you know, sometimes we disagree on stuff and then we'll 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 yell at each other, but it's not we don't ever like it's not like really yelling. It's not, like I say yell at each other, I mean that figuratively, because it's like, no, we'll talk about it. It's like, no, you're right. Or the great thing is on set, we can do stuff both ways, you know. Oh, sure. And then we're in the yeah. editing room, then you're kind of making the decision mm. and we 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 argue about stuff, but then we also have a third party come in and watch. We'll have Eric watch, or we'll have our editors watch, or we'll have cool. a producer watch, and um, that's fun too. So the the bottom line is like, just don't make it personal. And like, it's right. not when I criticize something where I'm criticizing the thing. He understands that when he criticizes mm. something, you know, he's not criticizing me. We know we respect the hell out of each other. Right. So it's not, you know, it's never like you don't eat like you're insulting me. It's like we just don't no. feel that way. You know, we're, we just doesn't work like that. Yeah, you can criticize like the decisions or the acts. That yeah, does you're like I don't. I think this works yeah it's yeah. like this could be funnier like let's make it better that's all yeah and that's uh, what you're saying about having like the big strong group the team of people that you can trust and you can yes. rely on is key right? yes absolutely For to have that occasional third party yes and it's been such a pleasure uh i feel like a big part of the show is is your first season are you hiring the right people yeah and and uh we have we hired so many of the people we hired were the right people, That which was mm-hmm. really helpful for season two. We just said, all right, these people are great. Mm-hmm. You know, all of our big positions, you know, they're just, you know, our, our, our producer, Igor, and, and uh, um, production designer, Amy, and cinematographer, Mark, and, mm. and, and right on down the line, our ADs, like, they're all great. And, and so um, that really helps. Yeah, because I wanted to ask how much of, of season two, you know, especially when you have a hit season one and it's on a buzzy network like Netflix. Yep. Like how much of that is going back to the drawing board? And it sounds like with the team and with who you're deciding on working with, that that's not on the table of things to have to decide. Well, if you're doing a good job, you, you stick with them, man. That, sure. that's, well, that's really that's really helpful because mm-hmm. one of the things we wanted to do content-wise with season two is take risks and oh, be cool. different and be yeah. more ambitious than season one. But what helped us do that is we also weren't revamping the whole team. You know, mm-hmm. it was like we we had great personnel and mm-hmm. we knew kind of we had a better idea of what we were doing in New York, and so that mm-hmm. took some pressure off that and allowed us to to uh, to really experiment. Were there mistakes you learned from from season one? Um, uh, you know, I'm sure that we made a ton of mistakes, and like it, it, it's it's just, or if not um, mistakes, then you know things you would have. Do you have regrets or? Uh, I mean, I think basically what we did season two is we just went bigger with stuff. And I think the, the stuff that we liked the best in season one was the most aggressive and experimental and, and original stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, the, the episode, a lot of people talked about the parents episode or the mm-hmm. mornings episode. And, and those episodes were a little bit, there were, there were deviations, you know, they, they, sure. they, you know, one of them starts with, you know, a whole act of flashbacks and, you know, mm. to 1950s India and Taiwan. And yeah. the other one takes place over the course of a year. So we were kind of, inspired by those episodes to to go bolder um in season two and that was just based on the the 
reactions, the buzz that you heard. Yeah, about, for sure. Yeah. And like reviews and, and yeah. And so you do pay attention to those things. We do. Yeah. You know, the, the other, this is the very, a very mundane reason, but, but the, the one reason is you, you want to look, you make the show and, and you spend a year and a half of your life on it. And it's nice to hear what people think. Yeah. Besides your friends and your family who are mm-hmm. Even if be nice. it can be painful. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I just read too much internet, but I'm, yeah, I, I read that <laughs> stuff. And there's no, another very mundane reason, which is, you know, when we have to submit for award stuff, there's promotional stuff and it's oh. good to read the reviews to know which ones to use or whatever quotes to use. Oh, so you're very, on that side boring, of marketing yeah. as well. Of like, Dude, we I told you we're control freaks, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, right I quote. don't think every showrunner is doing that, but uh, we, we mm. care. We care because it represents the show. Yeah. And what you're talking to about the tone, does tone extend to marketing? I feel like it. Yeah. You got to decide what words go on that poster and what yeah. images. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, we, we, you know, last season, you know, some of the stuff didn't seem exactly in the tone of the show. It was like, oh, let's let's work on this and make it like really, because you know, a lot of people first exposure to the show is the trailer or the poster or yeah. a piece of advertising, and it's like, mm-hmm. you want to make sure number one that it 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 looks like the show, but number two, you don't want to misrepresent. The show, because if it's mm-hmm. it, the trailer looks like it's a really big goofy comedy, and yeah. then they watch it, they'll be mad. So don't <laughs> yeah. make it like that. You know, don't right. think it's don't pretend it's something else. Like make it look like it's and feel like the show. Yeah, yeah, and I love that the the notion of this notion that Master of None is it really is television. Like I feel like maybe even some Netflix shows that drop all at once are just really long movies, a yeah. lot of mini series or basically eight hour movies. Yes, but Master of None, it seems like you guys have really made a concerted effort, especially with these tangential episodes, yeah. would you call them? Yeah. That you guys are making an effort to carve 30-minute episodes. Of course, there's a plot and there's a run-through with yes. the storyline, but yeah. this is real television. Yeah, it's a thing we talked about. I mean, it, it was it, it's just how we feel like the show works well. Yeah. And we did that, that is actually th- something we carried over from season one where we thought it worked well that, you know, this episode can be about anything and it can be about a specific topic mm-hmm. that we're interested in. And I think... Some of it comes from the fact that we're curious about a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. if something interests us, let's do a whole episode about it and really dig into it. Yeah. And and um, what's nice about it is also fairly digestible. You don't feel like, I have to watch nine hours of this thing. I can yeah. watch 30 minutes and it's kind of complete. And yeah. some of these episodes are standalones, you know? I you like know, that. it's it's like, yeah. it's, and, and there is lightly serialized stuff and we like that mm-hmm. stuff too. Yeah. Um, and I think that helps people continue to watch so it's not all disconnected, but. Mm. Um, you want a little yeah. bit of a binge worthy. Yeah, there's, angle. there's, I think there's merit to that too. But by the way, yeah. there's, there's shows that don't do that and are also bingeable. So who knows? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I like the approach that they're all just. Would you consider them all short films, quote unquote? Yeah, I mean, call them what you will. It's certainly like we have credits for each one, and we have new, new. The best, one of my favorite things about the show is every episode has its own theme song, which is great. Yeah. Uh, like that's amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, that's super disjointed. It's just in the fun. Best way. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, talk me through the advice for aspiring writers, aspiring TV writers aspect of things yeah um, no one path is the right path of i course. know that's the thing it's like i wish i could be like well go to school and yeah. get a degree in writing and then you'll get a job There's it's like no step no, by step to winning an emmy for example that stuff is truly unpredictable yeah. like that i mean that so much is out of your control for yeah. that so um look there's no magic bullet man i i give the most this is the the most cliched boring advice but it really is if you're a writer right you know just just 
just do it. Wake mm-hmm. up in the morning and write. If you have a full time job, wake up before work and write. If you or do it after work, you know, like if you have a family, like try to carve out a half an hour, an hour, and and make stuff. Just make stuff, yeah. and you. That's how you get better because, mm-hmm. like when I was talking about that vision in your head, is like you have an idea. Yeah. And you're not when you start. You're not good at making that idea. You're not. You're not no. good at executing it. I mean, look. Some people are geniuses. Fine. I'm not talking yeah. about them. I'm yeah. talking about people like you and me who are normal people, totally. just trying to do the best they can. You have an idea, and hopefully, you have good taste, and it's a good idea. Right. Now you try to execute that idea and write the script, or write the novel, or whatever it is. The first one you do is probably going to be bad. So bad. And you'll and then you read that one again, and you have your friends read it. Hopefully, mm. you have some smart friends, yeah. and they can tell you what's good and bad about it. And then you have another day, and then you, you write another script. Right. And, you know, when I was first starting, I probably wrote 10 spec scripts without ever working on a real sh- – you know, it's like you write a bunch of them. Yeah. And then the 10th one was probably marginally less bad than the first one. <sighs> yeah. And so, you know, now I'm I'm hundreds of scripts in, and I'm not quite as bad as I was when yeah. I did the first one. And that, yeah. there's no other way to get good at something. It's totally. just – Try to do it every day. It's it's a goal. Some people are able to do it. I can't write every day. I'm. Too, it's you need time off. But but mm, people who do are good. You know, yeah. the people who do the people who are good are just crazy. The they just are. They're crazy. Yeah. They do it all the time, and they're really good. Yeah. What are your writing habits? I love asking writers. Yes. Yeah, so to... um, I to me the hardest part and the the biggest part of it. And I don't think this is any surprise. Is breaking the story. Figuring out uh-huh. and what that means in very simple terms is what happens. Like what happens. Cool. And 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 Those I like the bones. Of yes, the... I like figuring out like you know as much of that as possible. Um, so certainly for the show, we'll. It's mm. fun because it's more collaborative. When I'm alone, then it's then then you're kind of doing that, and you're it's just you're on an island, and you're mm. to me like I, I I for me I walk around. I walk around New York and. Mm think and oh, think nice. and think and then maybe I'll have a notebook and write some stuff down quickly but to me like cool. it can all get a lot of it can get built in your head you know it get built in your head gets to mm. me it gets built in your head before you you write stuff down and then you remember what you like the best and you can write it down and you have cool. notes and you have to me you have pages and pages of notes before mm-hmm. you start doing anything yeah and so once you have your a bunch of loose ideas your favorite stuff character yeah. ideas scene ideas you uh, to me, you should have tons of that stuff. Like yeah, yeah, I, the, yeah. what the idea of what the world is, and your basic story, the biggest parts of your story, maybe the beginning or the end or both, and then mm. you could start writing in some kind of very loose, rudimentary outline, you know, treatment, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What happens in the story in very simple terms on on Parks and Rec? Uh, Mike and Greg would call it a Goldilocks, which is like this is the very simple version of the story. The idea being Goldilocks is a very simple story. Oh. Like what if this were a, a fairy tale or something? How would you write it out? Just write it in prose. Cool. You don't have to write dialogue. You can if you want, but yeah. but just very simply put down what the story is. Then you have start from there. Yeah, a little document that is basically a story. Then talk to talk to other people and mm. tell them the story and the parts that you don't remember or don't hit are probably not the best parts and make them better. Uh, yeah. And so you refine that and cool. then you turn that little document into a bigger document that's an outline and mm. and then you have an outline that that might have some dialogue, you might put some of that in script form. Um, and mm. to me, once you have a really, really good outline, that's the writing part of it. That's yeah. al- like you're almost done. Totally. To me, the pages are a joy. Like to me, writing the dialogue, I really like writing dialogue. Um, 
at that point, I can just go. Yeah, because you have the structure. You have the structure. You have the story. And your problems, you know, when you have a bad script, the problems are not the script. The problems are the the Goldilocks. The problem is like the the two-page thing you wrote at the very beginning. So sometimes you got to go back. You got to go back first to the outline and then maybe start over. And and that happens. We have episodes where it's like it didn't work. We have Mm. whole scripts we threw out. Whole scripts, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's like, and hours we have, and hours and, hours of work. and we have ones that were totally rewritten. There's an episode called Ladies and Gentlemen from season one where we had a script. Aziz and I wrote a script, uh, you know, it's kind of about the feminism. Uh, uh, there's, there's that opening montage where, of and, walking, of walking on the street. Yeah. And, and, uh, that script was totally rewritten. Aziz and I wrote a draft. It was like, this isn't good. This mm. is like wrong. This is not correct for the show. Huh. And, and, uh, um, we totally rewrote it, and the result was much better than what the original draft was. You know, it was just way sure. better. It's so funny because we I've talked to so many actors in general, but also for this podcast, and they all do say something along the lines of, when you go out and you audition for a lot of things, mm-hmm. you're going to get maybe five out of every 100 auditions you go to. You're yeah. going to get mostly just rejections. Yes. And it's almost like the writing process is similar. Yes. I, I would say... Th- I don't envy actors because that's such a visceral rejection. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Um, but it's you, you yourself being rejected. It's you yourself being rejected and it feels that way. And yeah. it's not necessarily that way because because right. you never know what role is right for which person but mm. or vice versa. Um, but it's there's a little bit of a microcosm of that. And I mean that even a very one-to-one way where mm. as a writer, you're submitting to a bunch of shows. Or you're trying to get your movie made. Sure. You're getting 99% oh. rejection. You know, mm. for Master of Done, like I'll read 100 scripts. And we'll yeah. hire two writers. You know, yeah. it's it's the same thing where it's like, you know, y- you're getting read a lot of places and yeah. you're not getting a lot of jobs. Like yeah. that's just there's only so many jobs to go around. And but the same thing happens to, in the writer's room, too. It's like you're pitching a million things mm-hmm. and one of them is going to make them the script. You know, mm-hmm. That's life. And you just got to be OK with you got to know that there's going to be a lot of rejections or you got to know that. 99% yes. of all that it's just going to end up in the waste bin. Yes. It's yeah. not it's not uh I I mean I can't think of a job where you always succeed but but you know it, there's not even a, it's a very minuscule hit rate. Like yeah. it's really like I I understand you know how much rejection actors get cuz it's a it's a more intimate visceral way of getting rejected yep. for sure. And oh, yeah. you're and it's you're, you're you're exposing yourself. You're very vulnerable. Like a writer it's all on the page. You don't see them mm. reject you. You just don't get a call from your agent, you know? Right. <laughs> or you call your agent and they, you say did I get and they say no. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. right. And I, I get what you're saying about it. Of course, it feels more personal. It's you yourself. Your it's your face. Body, your your face, body. Your, you, they, didn't, they didn't like how I acted. They didn't like how I, how I talked. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, me, myself. That's personal. That that's personal. That's true. I mean, because we're backstage, we're always we're always asking people for that advice. I mean, how do you – what do you tell actors? What You've done. You've done cat. You've been on We've the done a lot of, things, of casting. So, yeah. We do. You know, we, 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 you know we're, we have a f- – I would say we have a fairly light touch with casting. We, uh, what I mean by that is um, we, we, we're, trying to, we're trying to cast for kind of the essence of who people are. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, as I said earlier, it's a very naturalistic show. I mean to the point where Aziz's parents who aren't actors are in the show. And yeah. we know they're not Laurence Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, and Meryl Streep. Right. But, but the point is that there's some sort of essence of that person, some sort of emotional truth to their performance mm. that resonates to us. Mm. Um, and that's a very difficult thing to necessarily pin down and say, that's what I'm looking for. Mm. Um, but we tend to like when actors come in and they, they're not 
you know, obviously not chewing the scenery or going really big with stuff. Right. And, and, you know, obviously actors need to make choices and they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, everyone makes choices, whether whether you're, you're playing it very small or very True. big, you're making a choice. Um, but mm-hmm. but we tend to like when people feel like some version of themselves generally. Mm-hmm. I mean, that and that's for the most part like what we do in the show. That's just our show and that's not right. what every show Your is. Your show but, is set in the modern day and it's yes, yes. real people. It's real people and, and honestly Aziz plays a version of himself yep. and Eric plays a version of himself mm-hmm. and Lena plays a version of herself and Calvin plays a version of himself, you know. And, you yeah. know, and so, so – um, you know, I know that's that, that means maybe you're not doing some crazy choice, but it's, wow. diff, it's not easy to do. It's no, not easy to act natural. Not to, it's not no. easy to act. It's one of the most difficult things Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we 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 like when someone just presents some version of themselves and 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 naturally is charismatic, naturally is mm-hmm. funny, naturally really delivers um, emotion and all of that stuff. Again, it's easier said than done. Sure. Hey, come in and play naturally. It's not yeah. that easy. No. <laughs> That's, yeah. And then you immediately start being like, wait, how am I natural? What am I supposed to oh, do with my hands? That, it's, like... it's like, don't think about a red <laughs> elephant. You know, it's like, oh, I'm only thinking about a red right. elephant now. <laughs> right. right. Well, and I'm I'm curious too, because this episode that won you the Emmy yeah. was about very personal things. It was about your lives. And so it, we're talking about acting for one thing and putting yeah. yourself out there and like possibly getting rejected and in fact, the fact that writers have to go through that too but is it different when you're just inventing these scenarios and they're fantastical and they're different as opposed to I'm going to write my parents story it I find the latter to be very satisfying you know uh-huh. we look we do a fair amount of invention on the show there's there's tons sure. of stuff that is complete fiction but there's something about those real stories that mm. you can't beat or you can't yeah. you can't fake it for some reason. For some reason the details matter. You know what mm, I mean? The like details. The, yeah. the, the, the 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 those are what give the story life totally. and personality and give you that level of verisimilitude because it's just it was real. <laughs> like all that, you yeah. know, that's so that stuff in the parents episode, I, you know, I've said before, but like that stuff happened to my dad. He told me that weird chicken story and he yeah. told me about not getting served at a diner and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. that stuff happened. And when you write it and film it and watch it, you're like, wow, it, it does feel real because it is, you know, there's, yeah. there's something to that. So as much as possible, the, this, the show is that sort of mix of real stuff that's happened mm-hmm. and, and, you know, crossed with, crossbred with totally. our narrative to make it you know, a compelling to give it structure because mm. you don't I also, you know, I'm not really interested in in just, oh, here's a bunch of scenes like to me. Yeah, there's merit to that. About, exactly. Yeah. That's that's a different kind of show sure. where it's like kind of slice of life. And it's mm. but I, I like there to be a narrative. I yep. like there to be a beginning, middle and end, right. and whether it's an open ended ending or not, or whether it's a you know, I don't like things being wrapped up in a bow, but some kind of ending yeah. that. That implies um, some sort of you know emotional journey has been mm-hmm. taken. Um, so it's about shaping those real events into some sort of coherent narrative, both for on a per episode basis and uh, for the whole season. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah. both of those things are important. So there's a lot of things to juggle. For sure. Well, and that also brings it back to the the quote unquote diversity question. Yeah. Of yeah. Like <laughs> you're saying, specificity and detail is what gives those stories life. Yes. Rather than just a typical like. 
a blanket Asian story. Yeah. Asian American, the Asian American experience. Yeah. That's not a thing. No. It's, and by the way, there's a lot of different kinds of Asian people. There like, think so about many. Asia. <laughs> Asia is huge. There's billions of people in Asia. And it's true that Hollywood just doesn't always represent that. Yes. Or reflect yeah. that. Yeah. And I think it's the thing where, you know, I also get asked, you know, does it matter if it's, it's if it's you know, Asian American or Indian American or, or people of color behind the camera? And, mm. and look, I never want to say... I never want to prescribe and preach and say you can't write people who don't look like you because, of course, you're going to. You're yeah. going to write. But I will say there's been such a, a, a lack of representation behind the camera in the past that, yes, I think it's a good thing because there's certain things that, you know, this, there's a certain way Aziz and I do see the world probably a tiny bit differently from – People who don't look like us just mm-hmm. because that's our specific experience. You know, he was an Indian kid growing up in Bennettsville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I was a I was an Asian kid growing up in Riverside, California, mm-hmm. which is very much not L.A. And, and, and you know, there you know, weren't that mm-hmm. many people who look like me there. Mm-hmm. Um, is it every part of our life? No. Is it a, is some part of our life? Yes. It, it, it's right. It, it's it's it does impact how you look at the world. Yeah. Well, and I've heard it said that to make a great writer. Yeah. You just. Make them grow up in a place where they feel a little bit out of place. All the you know, time. It, there. Look, I think outsiders make good art, man. Mm-hmm. Outsiders make good Not art. Just writers, yeah, yeah, because it's like, yeah. you know, look. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of popular people who made good art too. And by the way, I wasn't not popular. I did fine. I wasn't. I wasn't like an outcast. It's not but, like all losers. No, make exactly. Good yeah, but but look, like yeah, I learned to navigate sort of a lot of worlds of people who didn't necessarily look like me. You yeah. know, I have more Asian friends now than I ever have because I live in a city with a lot of Asian people. Like, right. but like you know, it it, it you know, uh, I had to get along with a lot with people who locked who a lot of people looked uh you know. A lot of different ways, you know. That's right. you know, growing up. There's a lot of diversity in my high school, and which was kind of cool. Yeah. So that that was really good. Yeah, and I just love that you were able to pour that into into your art, and specifically into that episode, and that that episode then won you this Emmy that also allowed you to pour. I mean, you just gave a terrific Emmy speech. It was oh, thanks! Just gangbusters <laughs> because you got up there and you totally spoke from the heart, but in, in a way that I think opened a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I was really happy that people responded to that speech, and and you know it's just a small thing. It's just a dumb award show speech, but but you know people see that people yeah. you know people see that, and and if you're a kid, like you know I I you know when I was a kid, I didn't see people who looked like me on TV. I just didn't. No, nope. there were just very few, and 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 uh, so you we're know it's a process. Too we're, few. Yeah, we're getting there. We're yeah. doing better. Um, but it, you know it, it, you know if there's little Asian kids who 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 can now you know see our show and or mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're a black gay woman and you see the show or yeah. if, you know if you know, it's like Absolutely. you know if you're a muslim kid and you see the show like that's not the worst thing in the world you know that yeah. that's it it, it 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 helps it does help well you and aziz are fighting the good fight <laughs> thanks man keep up the great work thank you um i think we have to wrap up but thank you alan cool, yeah. so much for coming by flew by had a great time yeah thanks so much thanks This episode is brought to you by HBO's original drama series, Westworld. Westworld is a dark odyssey about the dawn of artificial consciousness and the evolution of sin. Set at the intersection of the near future and the reimagined past, it explores a world in which every human appetite, no matter how noble or depraved, can be indulged. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding drama series and all other categories.
Brian Cranston is joining us on the line. Brian Cranston, you may have heard of him, has 14 Emmy nominations and six wins for his astonishing performance as Walter White in AMC's Breaking Bad, plus a Tony Award, an Oscar nomination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. I would love to hear about your role in Sneaky Pete and how it came about, because I understand it may be the first television show in existence to come about because of an awards acceptance speech. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, usually you, you get an award for doing a series. I got a series for getting an award. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I had been very fortunate and I, I wanted to go up and, and if I was going to win, say something about the circuitous route that I took to get there and that I didn't always know what I wanted. I was a kind of a, a sneaky kid. I, I looked for the shortcut and, you know, perhaps due to a, a broken family and, you know, abandonment and some alcohol issues from my parents. And it's like, it kind of splintered. And so I was kind of adrift. And I was looking for the shortcut and trying to circumvent my responsibilities. And I would go into school and say, okay, what do I need to get a C in this class? Uh -huh. And then I would, I would reach for the stars to get the C. And yeah. then I knew I, that's done. Okay. I just, I, I didn't have any incentive and I didn't have any direction. And so the rest of my family, I think it was my uncle who dubbed me Sneaky Pete. And uh, I thought, wow, really? And so they were calling me Sneaky Pete. <laughs> um, and and I, that stuck until I was 21 and discovered acting uh, and fell in love, just okay. fell in love. And I, I then devoted my attention to it and realized, oh, with all the effort I had on trying to avoid responsibility and, and look for the shortcut. Had I just put my energies into doing the work, I would have been a lot further along. And uh, I found something I'm passionate about and it really has brought me terrific joy. And so my message to the audience was, if that's you, if you were a sneaky Pete, <laughs> if you have been floundering and haven't found your way, maybe reintroduce yourself to, to that thing that brought you joy. Uh, and it doesn't have to be professional, but just whatever it is that it gives you empowerment. And I hope you find it. And thank you very much and good night. So it was something like that. It was extemporaneous. So I, don't, I never saw the speech. So uh -huh. the next day, I get a call from Zach Van Amberg and congratulating me on the Emmy. And I said, well, thank you very much. And he said, by the way, I think Sneaky Pete would be a, a good show. And I said, <laughs> what show? What, what is it? What do you mean? What's it about? And he goes, oh, I have no idea, but I think it'd be a good show. And he left me with a little nugget that was enough of a seed to build on. And that was, you were barely 21 when you found the, the alternative to being a sneaky peach. But what if you never found that? What if you're 35 years old and you're still a sneaky peach? Who would you be? Yeah, yeah. And Boy, that was it. And I started pondering on that. And that's how we came up with the idea. That's so interesting. It feels like such a odd, circuitous 
I mean, who'd have thought that that suggestion would be <laughs> taken seriously? And here you are with this second season pickup and all this praise for this amazing show. Thank you. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot of people involved with this. I, mm-hmm. I created the show with David Shore from uh, House fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we have a different showrunner, and that's Graham Yost. And he took the reins and done a magnificent job. My producing partner, James Degas, and I, you know, we're just, we're, we're relentless. We just want to keep pursuing those stories that are, are compelling to us. Mm-hmm. And that's what we sniff out, like, like pigs on a truffle. <laughs> and your role as both creator and executive producer, I mean, what exactly does that entail? How much writing does that entail? Quite a lot. Um, wrote the first uh, pilot episode with David. Um, and what it entails most is the guidance. So you're reading every outline and noting you're reading every draft of every episode mm-hmm. and noting you're pitching different ideas and different avenues. And you're looking at casting and you're giving opinions on directors. And, and so there's just a tremendous amount of work to be done. It's, it's enjoyable work, but it is mm-hmm. uh, time consuming and, and sometimes frustrating, sometimes just exhausting. Sure. But in the long run, you look back and you go, look what we get to do. You know, as human beings and in our lifespan, we can probably remember dragging a book to our parents' lap and having them tell us a story. And that's the glorious thing about human beings. And if you're very lucky, very lucky, you can grow up to become not only ones who receive stories, but tell stories. Mm. And I think that is the, that's the, the luckiest job there is because all human beings want to be told a story. And if you can fulfill that need and surprise them and scare them and make them think, make them laugh, uh, what a joy. What a joy. I agree. No, I was just going to say that, that human beings are are really remarkable entities, you know, that they, that you think that you know them until you dive into the psyche and you realize really they're good beings and they so want to be told a story that they're willing to put up really hard earned money in order to be told that story. Knowing full well, those who are on stage or on screen are actors and not the real people. Mm. It doesn't matter. Just tell me a good story and I'll follow you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and speaking of acting, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you were not initially planning on appearing in every episode of the show as an actor and you were just meant to be a guest in episode one? Well, that's correct. Um, in It took a different route as well. Um, we first sold the series to CBS right. and made pilot for CBS and they decided not to buy it. Mm-hmm. And we Which were happens. able to then shop it somewhere else. And mm-hmm. when we were shopping it elsewhere and took it to Amazon first, and they really liked it, but wanted to just turn the dial a little bit on the tension and drama um, mm. and be, turn it into a serialized format as opposed to a procedural. Mm-hmm. So um, we introduced an actual character that became an antagonist for um Giovanni Rabisi's character. Mm-hmm. And it seemed appropriate to 
materialize that person, have it become real so that a real threat, not just a one that we hear about. And so I said, we have no time. In the interest of time, we have three weeks before we have to shoot this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will throw myself in. Let's (laughs) let's just, so we don't have to waste any time casting. Let's go. And Graham liked the idea. And so we went and I told him, I said, as, as the producer, I'm saying to you, I'm supporting you Mm -hmm. in whatever you want to do. If you think that this character should be in every single episode, then put him in every single episode. If you think he should be in every other episode, then do that. Whatever I'm I'm going, I'm going to follow your lead. Interesting. Because it was not a concerted effort necessarily. You've said it's all downhill from Walter White. (laughs) You've said that in interviews before. So this sounds like it wasn't necessarily planned as the next step in terms of jumping back into a series, right? Correct. Um, you know, it, it, the life of a, a producer is often at the mercy of, of calling audibles, you know, where you see one thing going one way. And I saw an opportunity to keep this show alive and mm. to give it as much of a chance to, to succeed and we needed to produce that character. And it was like, it seems to me that I am the best candidate to do that right now. So take us through step-by-step. How does an actor win an Emmy award? How does an actor win an Emmy award? By hitching your wagon to really good writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Um, And by not wanting to win an Emmy award. Ah, okay, good. You yeah. don't do you don't you don't do the work in order to win anything. Sure, right. If you if you're focused on this will get me this, yeah, and you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Totally. And so, I mean, I've been asking a couple actors this question about the about the awards side of things, and and it's true that of course it is always about the work, and the awards part are almost a a, a bonus. And I'm wondering, how do you approach the the campaigning part of it? And is that is the purpose of that to just raise awareness for the show and to, like you say, share that storytelling with the world and get it on a on a bigger platform? Well, at first, I I had some pushback to the idea of campaigning for any mm-hmm. award, um, but then I realized, you know, marketing is all about awareness. You could do tremendous work on a production and you're very proud of a show. And yet, if no one knows about it, what's the purpose? What was the point? Yeah, sure. If you don't do everything you possibly can to get the word out and draw attention to it, then, then you're spinning your wheels. So I quickly came to realize this is about the health and welfare of the show, of the series. And if they're using me as the lead in that series, as a, you know, as the hood ornament, well, okay. And that was my position. I was the lead of the show. Okay. So let's go, let's charge ahead and do what we can to draw attention to the show. And maybe, maybe we'll get to stay on for a few years. Right. And if it does hit as breaking bad did it, it, then takes on an, an energy of its own and it huh. rolls. It, it comes as 
the character became iconic and the show was revered. It became sort of its own avalanche. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't stop it. You can't do anything. You just, at the end of it, I just had to step out of the way so that I wouldn't get crushed by the abundance of attention for it, <laughs> Yeah, which I was grateful for on one end. And on the other side, you go, well, what, what is going to be my life after breaking back? <laughs> and, sure. You know, you just have to let it be what it is and then think of new avenues to explore. Absolutely. And you certainly did that with all the way, uh, both on the Broadway stage and then in the HBO movie. And uh, congratulations on your Tony Award for that performance as well. Well, once again, um, the secret is more. I'm. I feel like I'm the wagon master. I get up on there and I hitch my wagon to really <laughs> strong horses. And the analogy is that the strong horses is the the depth and breadth and wisdom of really talented writers. So I leave Vince Gilligan and go to Robert Schenken, yeah. who wrote All the Way, and I, which his play was brilliant, and, and it it won the Tony as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it makes performers look like geniuses. Um, yeah, because yeah, because we just follow the written word that's so well crafted and thought through. Um, so there, there it is. You just, if you can, if you can run your career by following really well-written material, um, you will rarely, if at all, be disappointed. What was the last TV show you watched or what are you currently watching? Saul, better call Saul, um, (laughs) because I love it. It's, uh, it's, Good answer. There's a familiarity to it, uh-huh. uh, and yet, and yet, there's it, it goes into different directions with different characters that I'm not familiar with. Um, but you can't mistake the genius of Vince Gilligan and, and Peter Gould and what they've been able to craft there, and Bob Odenkirk is crushing it, and yeah. Michael McKean, my friend from all, all the way, and and we're just mm-hmm. having a, a great time watching this and. As a matter of fact, I'm having dinner tonight with Vince, and uh, I I would just have to remind him not to say anything because I just I want to be a fan. I don't I don't want to have any inside scoop. (laughs) So that's so cool. Uh, Who is your favorite actor? Oh, I don't know. Um, If if you give a quick answer to that, then you go, oh, you know, I should (laughs) have said or I should have added. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many, so many that I'm, I'm influenced by and Mm. and it's not any one person that I go, Oh, I'd like to pattern myself after this um, person. But if, if I was forced to say that, I would probably say something about patterning myself out of, out of an entire life in the arts, you know, how you carry yourself in front of the camera and behind the camera and how you, what kind of personal life do you maintain? And um, Tom Hanks comes to mind in that regard. I not only for his work, but how he approaches the work and how he appreciates the work. Sure. And I've I've felt that as well. And he and I have talked about that. About yeah. How how lucky we are to be able to do what we do. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, about the things you love and for giving us your wisdom. Well, I don't know about that. It was a nice chat, though. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brian, for taking the time. You bet. Bye-bye. That was a nice chat with Brian Cranston. Beautifully segued. TV god. Brian Cranston. Yeah. Can you believe it? I know. I know. When you said that we had an interview with Brian Cranston, I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Okay. And here's the other thing that listeners that Jamie and I have in store for you. Uh, We have more of our interview with Brian Cranston. Um, He has a lot of very specific advice about auditioning and his audition philosophy, which kind of came to him in an epiphany. And he says really changed not just his attitude towards approaching the acting industry, but also his actual results in booking jobs. And that is going to be saved for a bonus episode uh, to come later. I'm already so excited about it. Let's just hope no one's got any important auditions between now and then, or they're going to be tearing their hair out in <laughs> anticipation. That's so true. <laughs> oh, I'm really sorry to all the listeners who are, yeah, have some big audition lined up. Uh, in the meantime, we have more to come from In the Envelope. Uh, we have some very exciting guests next week who also have insights. Don't you worry, actors, working actors. We feel for you. We're here for you. We can't give it all away. That's right. Straight away. Got to tease tune it a little in bit. Week after week. Yeah. And uh, if you have any questions or comments for us or for any of the artists that we are talking to on our podcast, join us on Facebook or Twitter at Backstage and ask any questions you may have about the acting industry, about the Emmys, um, whether that be for myself or for Jamie, for anyone at Backstage, or for any of these guests who I can't yet reveal the remainder of our guests. But uh, yeah, chime in. We would love to hear from you. Thank you to this week's special guests for our special episode, Alan Yang and Brian Cranston. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe for more interviews from the front lines of the 2017 Emmy race. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City. Thanks, as always, to producer Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter at JamieMusicNYC. I am Jack Smart. You can follow me on Twitter at JackSmartWrites. Thank you to the team at Backstage, a.k.a. the most trusted name in casting, Peter Rappaport, Ryan Remstad, Jesse Balashak, Francis Ramos, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially the exquisite Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another glimpse in the envelope.